Hello and welcome to Look for the Helpers, an ICT SOS podcast. My name is Amber Gonzalez, the Education Coordinator for ICT SOS. When our favorite neighbor Fred Rogers was a boy and would see scary things in the news, his mother would say to him, Look for the helpers. You will always see people helping. Today, the helper we are looking to is Megan Meyer, forensic nurse at Wesley Medical Center. We will be discussing supporting survivors of sexual assault and abuse during COVID-19, as well as common myths surrounding sexual assault. Since the audio was recorded, there has been a change in the visitation policy at Wesley Medical Center. Beginning Monday, May 4, Wesley Medical Center will be relaxing visitation limits to allow one visitor per patient in all non-critical areas. This excludes patients in isolation and the COVID-19 unit. Should a survivor receive services from a forensic nurse, such as Megan, in the separate sexual assault nurse examination suite, they would be able to bring one support person with them. For further information about ICT SOS and how you can help or donate, please visit our website, ictsos.org, and follow us on social media at ICTSOS. You can also find today's show notes, links, and reporting lines on our website, ictsos.org forward slash blog. Hey, Megan. Hey. Thanks for joining us today on our podcast. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Yeah. Hey, could you, just for the benefit of our listeners, tell us your title and then where you're working? I am a forensic nurse and I work at Wesley Medical Center. Okay. Yeah. And if you um, were to go to Wesley Medical Center to try and find where you're at, you enter through the emergency department. Is that right? Uh, No, we're actually in a separate location across the hospital. Uh, We're in a private location. It's not even on the hospital map for safety reasons. Oh, well, I was way off. (laughs) Well, we do see patients in the emergency department. That's where we initially get our patients. Uh, But uh, we, when we do take our patients that are, you know, survivors of human trafficking um, or sexual assault, we do take them to a different part of the hospital where it's private, it's a locked unit, it's very safe where they're at. It doesn't look like the typical hospital setting. It's very comfortable. There's comfortable couches. There's a waiting area. Uh, If we have tiny humans, there's toys for them to play with. There's a television. We have our exam room that's separate from that. It's just a really uh, quiet location and takes them away from the busy ER. There are times that we do have to, you know, do things down in the ER and that's perfectly fine too. But when we get to, when it's available for us, we always like to take them away from the busy ER setting and take them to our unit. Right, where they can feel, like you said, they can feel a little more secure, safe. It's quieter down there. It's calmer down there. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, when you have somebody that has some type of trauma happened to them. It just makes it easier for them to want to disclose something or talk about something when, you know, you take them away from all the, you know, the busyness and, you know, other prying eyes and when it's just kind of you and them on a a one-on-one situation. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, I think it's so fantastic. We have that resource at our hospital. Um, 
I want to just ask you really quick, I want to dive in a little bit more to what you do. What does it actually look like um, to, to have an exam for um, with a forensic nurse? Um, but let's talk about you for just a minute. How long have you been working in your field? What drew you to where you are now? I've been working as a forensic nurse since uh, I started um, with in the forensics department in January of 2016. And um, I started out working PRN, which was, you know, I just was on call during specific hours. And then in July of 2016, they opened up a full-time position. And so I've been doing this job full-time since July of 2016. Um, Prior to that, I have a background in trauma medical and pediatrics uh, as a registered nurse. Uh, But my passion is with forensics and all the patients that, you know, we have, um, my passion for that first started in nursing school. I had an instructor kind of pull me aside and say, you know, I, you know what job would really be good for you? And that's when I first learned about SANESART. And um, that's what our department used to be called. And it's S-A-N-E slash S-A-R-T, Sexual Assault Nurse Examiner, Sexual Assault Response Team. And uh, so I started looking into it when I was in nursing school and I fell in love with it. I went to several different workshops about it and just did a ton of research about it. And I know that that eventually was what I wanted to do with my nursing career. Fantastic. And I love, um, that you are there and that you are helping people because we at ICTSOS, we love you, not just you, but the whole team, everybody who's working in the department. Um, you guys are all fantastic and you have such great, um, personalities and demeanors (laughs) to, um, just to really make people feel like welcome and at home and safe with you. I will just say that right now. Like you guys just, you really make a difference. I think for people, Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. We have a you know very small department, and uh, all of our patients are uh, we specialize in caring for victims of violence and also perpetrators of violence as well as part of our job. Um, that's you know something that we you, you, I mean you have to work together. You have to have it takes a very special person to do this job. I guess I can say um, because it's not easy. You see the worst of the worst every single time that you have a patient and um, it really, you have to be able to have that good support system with the people that you work with. Yeah, that was something that I, I guess I didn't realize when I first met you and when I came into your facility was that you not only see um, survivors, but you do also see perpetrators. Um, and what I, again, what I love about you guys is that you are a medical professional, right? And so um, that is your very first that's your first response, I guess, is to respond to people as a medical professional. And I feel like you guys do a great job at just really respecting and um, giving dignity to everybody, no matter who they are or why they may be there. Absolutely. I mean, we are nurses first and foremost, and our, you know, first thing that we do is we look at it from you know, our nurse eyes, our nurse brains, and then we add the forensic aspect into it. And it, I mean, it's not our job to judge. It's not our job to be biased. We just go in and we do our best uh, from how we're trained. And, you know, we do get, you know, a lot of different types of cases and a lot of different kind of crazy scenarios, but we do our best and uh, just kind of 
see every case is different. You never walk into the same case and there's still things that we come across that we're like, okay, we've never had this before, no matter how many years you've been doing it. Mm-hmm. Something new all the time, I bet. Oh yeah. So how do you, and this is straying from our notes a little bit, I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> how do you and the people you work with, like the rest of your team, how do you guys handle um, being, I guess there's kind of a separation for you, right? There's like, I'm a nurse, I'm a medical professional, I'm going to do my job. But then like you said before, it takes a special person because there's a very heavy emotional aspect to what you do. So how, what are your techniques? How do you guys take care of yourselves in all of that? Oh, absolutely. This job runs a high risk for burnout and vicarious trauma. Like no other job does. I mean, we do see the worst of the worst every single day. And each one of us has our own self-care, you know, mechanisms that we do. We have four full-time nurses, two part-time nurses, and a handful of PRN nurses. And we are very good at looking out for each other. If we start, um, getting some really horrific things back to back or even one horrific thing. We check in on each other constantly because we're always doing case review. We're always, um, we're able to vent to each other, which is a good thing. You know, if I have something really bad, I can call, you know, our coordinator, Amy, and just say, Hey, you know, this happened. I need to get this like off my chest. And so it's, it's a good thing to have like that, you know, like that feedback with your coworkers that know exactly what you're going through every single time that you have a case. Uh, For myself, I have four children, so I'm pretty busy at home. Um, I compartmentalize very well, which I think each one of us as a forensic nurse, you kind of have to do that, um, just so you don't take it home all the time. Uh, I read a lot or listen to audible books and uh, keep myself busy. I love to bake and cook, and I'm just constantly busy anyways. So... Um, but I know that each one of us has a different thing. They exercise. Uh, uh, I know Wendy likes to read as well. Amy goes to the Y and church all the time. So there's, there's just different aspects that we each do. That's, you know, unique to how we deal with and do self-care. Yeah. So you each have, Oh, sorry. No, you're fine. Um, yeah. So you each have like your individual things, like this is who I am. This is what I love. I really pour into that. And then you've got your family and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But then what seems really key is supporting each other. Oh yeah. So if I have a really bad couple of days, um, or even like one shift to where I'm there really late or I'm just over it, we are really awesome for each other to say, Hey, you know what? I know you're back on call tonight. You know, just stay home. I'll take your call. Um, you know, you need some, you need some time away from this. So we, we don't have a problem with having each other's backs. That's great. That's really great. Okay. So what does this look like during pandemic then for you guys right now? It has been a struggle. uh, I think with people being afraid to come to the hospital and that's not something that we want. We don't want somebody to be afraid to come in. Wesley has done amazing with taking precautions, uh, screening everybody as they walk in the door, providing masks to everyone, and just being able to have that extra layer of protection. Uh, the one of the good things is um, with you know doing all of that is that everybody's protected. Everybody's wearing a mask. We're all you know looking out for each other in that way. But I just don't want people to be afraid to come in, and our numbers have you know, kind of been low, uh, for the most part, because I honestly think 
people are afraid to come in and it's not just our department, it's the hospital and, you know, as a whole, there's, you know, a lack of patients in the ER, their census is really low. Um, but we have seen a prevalence of things like domestic violence and uh, just because we care for those types of patients as well. Um, but we haven't seen a whole lot of survivors of sexual assault like we normally would. And I honestly, um, want to make it known that it's okay to still come to the hospital. I don't want people to be afraid not to come in after they've been assaulted or going through, you know, some sort of ordeal just because of the virus and what's going around. Yeah, that's very good to know. Um, it's really startling to me that you guys don't have very many numbers right now, especially from what we know about everybody staying at home. Um, yes. That puts everybody in these positions where tensions are really high. Like you said, mm -hmm. we've, we've seen domestic violence um, rates are, are really high. There's a whole lot of stuff going on. And if people don't feel safe in, in coming and getting the help that they need, um, it can put them in, in danger and at risk. So that's a really good message to share out there. And we'll help promote that as well. Um, sure. Any any like um, precautions for people who are coming into the, into the hospital, just for people who don't know, do they need to be screened? What happens when you get to the hospital right now? So we have limited the access points in the hospital and we have different timeframes where each door is open and whether or not, you know, you're, what door you're coming in, every single opening area of the hospital has somebody who's screening the people immediately. They are, before you even come to the screening station, you, you know, sanitize your hands and you put on a mask and then your temperature is taken immediately. So it doesn't matter who you are in the hospital. Uh, you are screened. Uh, employees, uh, patients. We do not have any visitors at this time. I'm not sure when they're going to lift the no visitor policy right now just because um, there is still the virus that's going around. So I'm not sure if that, you know, is it going to be lifted anytime soon? Like the stay-at-home order, you know, they're talk, you know, and talks about that being lifted. That's probably not going to change at the hospital right now as far mm -hmm. as visitor policies, um, yeah. just because you know that limits the spread of the virus to people that don't need to be exposed to it. Mm -hmm. But everybody is screened no matter what, and there's no visitors, so it kind of limits the amount of people that you're around, anyways. Yeah. Yeah. So that starts to answer the beginning of the next question I was going to ask, which is like, what does a typical day look like for you in supporting survivors? So obviously right now during this pandemic, it's different because you've got these layers of screenings and things. Um, with no visitors, if someone was to come and um, need, need an examination with you guys, can they bring a support person with them or does that person have to stay out of the hospital? That person does have to stay out of the hospital, unfortunately, and we want to, you know, we want to provide our survivors with as much support as we can. Uh, that includes not being able to have an advocate with them as well, because mm -hmm. Wichita Area Sexual Assault Center has also limited their services as far as going out in person. Mm -hmm. They are available over the phone, so we can call and have them on their 24-7 crisis line. They can speak to an advocate from the Wichita Area Sexual Assault Center, and someone from Wasat can give them that support that they need over the phone. We have the resource information in our office, so we do our best to replicate, you know, being 
their advocate and their nurse at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, but we sure must have advocates being there. Yes, um, I'm sure you do. In a future episode, I would love to sit down with the Wichita Area Sexual Assault Center, um, WASAC for short, and talk with them about their perspective on this too, because oh, yeah. they are every person who's ever wa- worked at WASAC is a phenomenal human being just yes. on their own. Yes. I don't know how WASAC just tends to find the most fantastic people, but they do, which is a great thing. Um, I totally agree. And, and then, like you said, like they are just really phenomenal at providing support too. So, so it kind of puts you in the position of trying to play nurse and advocate, but I, I think we need to not discredit, like you already said, um, they are available for call. Um, yes. So I think 100%. it's good. So I think it's good to know for somebody who is a survivor that they can go to the hospital. They'll be screened. Um, so you know, there's precautions there. They don't need to be afraid. And they can come in and they are going to receive really, really good care and they will still get some advocacy work. So I think that's, that's important for people to know. Yeah. And I want to do a little plug for them as well. I mean, if you're listening to this and you do need to talk to them, the 24 seven crisis line is 316-263-3002. And they are available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Someone will answer the line and someone will be able to talk to you. That's good. I will include that phone number and their helplines in our show notes today as well. Awesome. I can link that. That's fantastic. So in a little bit, um, I am going to talk about the really the connector between ICTSOS and, um, and you and your staff, which is the Fresh Start Bags. Um, but let's kind of back up a little bit because we were talking about, okay, so what does a typical day look like for, for you guys? So WASAC is a huge piece because an advocate will come in, but let's say a survivor comes in to, to the hospital. Um, so they've come in, they've been screened, they've gone through those things. They meet with one of you guys. Yes. They get taken to kind of the next location, which is the safe and just secure, very comforting place. Yes. What is, what's next for that person? I think there's a lot of unknowns and a lot of misconceptions about what that looks like for someone to get a sexual assault exam. So kind of take us what happens next. Yeah, for sure. And there are, and it's funny because usually at the end of, you know, the day and end of the time of the patient, they even tell us that's not as bad as I thought it was going to be, or this is totally a, a different experience than what was in my mind. Um, so what we do is we bring that patient down and, you know, we give them, we like to build a rapport. So we just kind of talk to them and see how they're doing, their physical well-being. Um, they do have a choice to be screened in the emergency department first if they need anything medically cleared. But typically, we do get them first and we bring them um, back down if they don't need to be medically cleared. And so before we you know, start in on the exam or evidence collection or doing anything, we just talk with the patient. We get a history for the purpose of diagnosis and treatment. And it kind of helps guide our exam process. We let them know that this whole entire process is of their choosing. They can choose to participate in any and all parts of the exam. And even after they sign their consents, they can change their mind at any time. So there's not anything that's, you know, set in stone with these types of exams. And if they have more questions, if they need to take a break, we always want to encourage that they let us know if they have, you know, any of those issues if they don't want to do something, then that's fine. We like to let them know ahead of time that this is patient-guided exam. 
they have control over everything and they're not going to be forced to do anything. Um, we are able to do evidence collection, detailed genital exam, offer um, prophylaxis and testing for sexually transmitted infections as well as HIV. And um, we're able to offer emergency contraception. And so we go over all of those aspects and then we go over them at each step. So, you know, we just like to remind them like, this is what we're gonna do next. And it doesn't always go in the same order each time and just whatever the patient is comfortable with. I had a, a, you know, a patient not too long ago and she wanted to get the blood work out of the way. She hated needles. She just wanted to do all that out of the way and get that out of the way. And that's, you know, that's totally fine. It's however the patient wants to do the exam. And um, if they don't want forensic photography, you know, it's okay. We explain to them at each point if they decline something, this is why it's necessary and this is why uh, we'd like to do it. And if they still want to decline after they know every single thing that there is to know about it, that's okay too. We don't make them feel guilty. We don't make them feel bad. We just like to keep them informed, educated on each step of the process and give them a choice. That's fantastic. I love that you guys do that. And again, that you guys just do that so well. Um, so a, never, a survivor is never going to walk in there and be forced into anything that they don't want to do. Um, Absolutely not. All the, minor. Yes. And especially too, right? So um, a, a, a parent or a guardian can't come in and force anything on their child, can they? Absolutely not. Right. So and there's a lot of myths surrounding that, um, the whole entire, you know, well, that's my child. I can make her have this exam. Well, no. If a six-year-old tells me I'm not looking at her privates, then I'm not looking at her privates. Right, so right. It, it is what it is. And, I, you know, I'm not forcing anyone to let me look at them, touch them, you know, do anything with them. Um, it's, it's all about the patient because they've already been violated in, at one, you know, area of their lives. We're not there to do it again. Absolutely. And I think that's that's the most important part is that you are putting the power, the control back in that person's hand. Yes. You're not going to re-exploit them. You want to no. make sure that they feel safe. This is your choice. Um, you don't ever let have to, you know, have one of us in here doing anything to you that you don't want to have happen to you. 100%. 100%. So um, you mentioned the myths, and I kind of wanted to go there too, because I, when I'm in middle schools and high schools doing our prevention education, um, sometimes this conversation just kind of comes up just because of the nature of human trafficking. Um, and a lot of the, unfortunately, a lot of the information and education that kids get on this subject is like Law & Order SVU, or oh. Criminal Minds, or some other crime show, or some YouTube something or other. Yeah. Um, so, what are what are the most probably common myths I think that you know of or have to combat all the time? Okay. So, <laughs> when we teach in nursing schools, it's a huge myth. There is no virginity testing. Mm -hmm. There is no, we're not going to be able to look at a patient and say, oh, there's evidence of sexual assault, like on law and order. <laughs> right. We would never say that. We are there to collect subjective and objective information. And we're doing the exam. We are, you know, collecting evidence and we're just, you know, doing our portion of it and getting a history. Um, and then we're documenting what we see as well. 
There is no virginity testing. We do have, you know, parents, oh, I just want to see if she's been having sex. Well, it's not how that works. No. Um, We have a lot of misconceptions about, um, you know, how the hymen works and, you know, that you, you don't lose it and never goes away. You're all females are born with a hymen. They die with a hymen. You, you know, it's supposed to be open. Um, we have a lot of, you know, parents, well, she's got a hole down there and it's supposed to be there. Good. Um, our job is a lot of education as well. And we do not mind educating all of us. I think just the love teaching, love educating. And so if we can dispel a myth in just one person and, you know, maybe they can, you know, then pass on that knowledge to someone else who's having a concern that, you know, we're all about it. And, and it's, it's not like a law and order. Nothing gets solved in an hour. Um, you can't look at somebody and tell that they've been sexually assaulted. And sometimes that's really, uh, disheartening for people when we don't see injury. Cause a lot of times there's so many reasons why you wouldn't see injury. And this would be a lot longer podcast if we went into, you know, all of the aspects, but there's many, many reasons on why there wouldn't be any injury. And just because we don't see any injury does not mean that an assault didn't happen. And I think it's really important for people to know that, that there does not have to be any injury for an assault to have happened, no matter what age you are. It doesn't matter. So, um, yeah, I 100% agree. People yeah. really need to know that. You see these, you know, TV shows and they make it, well, you know, her hymen's intact or her hymen wasn't intact. Oh, so she wasn't a virgin, you know, and it's, oh, it makes me cringe. I still watch all those shows, but they still <laughs> Yes, you can still watch like a cop show or something and, and, or a crime or medical show and be like, well, that's 100% inaccurate, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I so there's a couple of things that that I heard that um that I I just kind of wanted to mention again. So talking about the like you can't tell if somebody has has been assaulted by looking at them. Um, or even and then the whole sexual sex. I mean, right. Yeah, and I think that um sexual assault is there is so much shame around yes. sexual assault for people. Um within the community, with how the, I guess, society responds to survivors. Um, There's so much of that already. And I think this is one of those encouraging things that survivors really need to know in this moment, which again, the the fact that you can educate and reinforce that is phenomenal because you may have somebody who's had something happen to them and they are the ones carrying the shame for that. It's not the way it should be. I think it's really important for survivors to know that, again, that survivor is the one who has all the power and control of what do I want other people to know? It's my information. I don't yes. share that information if I don't want to, right? And yes. there's nothing that can be seen. There's no way you can tell. And so there's just this, again, there's just this level of shame, I think, that sometimes slips in the back of survivors' minds, like everybody's going to know X, Y, Z. And that's just not yes. true. It's just and that guilt factor of getting someone else in trouble too. Yes, uh, especially when you're younger, um, it's it carry you know it carries heavy on them. And just want to let everyone know, like if you are a survivor, it is not your fault. There is no shame with you know coming forward and and saying something happened to you know people that you love and that you trust. 
And even if it is just a nurse that you, you know, just met, um, it's okay. That's what we're here for. We're here to, to listen, to not judge. Um, that's not our place. It doesn't, it doesn't matter how you came into the situation. What happened to you was wrong. And it's, you know, never going to be your fault because somebody else's actions, you know, cause something horrible to happen to you. For sure. hundred percent. Um, we could just end with that, just drop the mic and move on. But I do want to move into talking about, um, some fresh start bags too, because then the other piece of this is we could either carry this conversation on for a couple more days, (laughs) especially on myths and things we believe and whatever. (laughs) Maybe we need to do that. Maybe we just need to have another, a whole series here. Oh yeah. I mean, the girls that, you know, I work with, they'd be more than happy. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just line you guys up and go down and, and we'll just dispel all the myths right now. Um, yeah. so, but let's, let's go ahead and kind of wrap up our conversation a little bit for today. Um, okay. we'll, we'll leave our listeners hanging, um, wanting more for the future. Um, <laughs> But when it comes to our connection between ICTSOS and, and Wesley, um, the Fresh Start Bags is is kind of our main piece. And and um, we tell people, hey, we, we deliver them to the hospitals. But I, I don't think people really know what that means. So just really talk us through, like, what happens? You offer a Fresh Start Bag to a survivor, or what does that look like? So usually when we get a, you know, survivor of human trafficking, um, is what whenever we get them into our you know department we do the exam we do everything um we are able to offer these amazing fresh start bags to these um people that are in need for something new something that's theirs uh, maybe they're in there with just the clothes on their back and we're collecting those clothes for evidence uh, we're able to put them in new clothes to walk out in and then also provide them with a fresh start bag that has a few days of changes of clothes in there. Um, it has full-size hygiene products, a gift card for food, journals, pens. Um, it has uh, socks, you know, if they're female, a sports bra uh, in there for them, uh, underwear, several changes of, you know, those types of things. We can't thank you guys enough for providing these to us. And it also comes with a really awesome tote bag because you know, everybody loves tote bags, but they're able to keep all of their belongings in there and they're able to keep all of their things in there because that, now that is theirs. It's something that they own. It's all brand new. They can, you know, leave with it. It gives them that comfort. They're able to go and get clean and put on fresh clothes. And sometimes the, those little gestures that we do with just providing those new things for them is, you know, that's the most amazing thing that's happened to them that day. They're very thankful, very grateful to have these things for them. And we can't thank you guys enough for being able to be amazing and provide those items for us. Absolutely. Well, I have to just have a huge shout out, um, for our donors and all the people who, uh, give that, whether it's the individual products or maybe they're Amazoning products and things to us mm-hmm. right now, um, or who pack bags or just really donate to make that possible. And then again, you guys, I mean, we're so appreciative of what you do that we feel like this is such a yeah. small thing that we can help just help a survivor with that bag, but then also put a tool in your hand so that you can kind of build some trust and I guess build, um, again, kind of build on that layer of safety that you offer in, in kind of your suites that you guys have. 
Yeah. I mean, if we can take a picture of, you know, the person, their face, whenever they receive this bag and realize that it's all for them, it's, it's just, you can see the gratitude in their face and the surprise a lot uh, that they're getting all these cool things just to take with them. So it's, it's amazing. Absolutely. Well, I, I love that. Um, I guess our community always, always shows up and they always, um, show up with items for that and backpacking events. And I just, I think we have such an amazing community that we're taking care of people. Oh yeah. So I do want to just briefly mention though, um, you guys also take blankets, right? Yes. So we, um, used to get all of our blankets from a group called the blanket makers and it's fleece tie blankets. Um, all of our survivors get one. Um, and we do provide them you know, for our child abuse um, survivors as well. And so we, you know, have all of these blankets donated to us now from all different places. Once we started spreading the word, we have, you know, church communities, nursing schools. So many people have been so gracious to provide these new blankets and these homemade blankets for all of our survivors. And that is another comfort element for them. They're very grateful for that. Everybody loves blankets. Um, Sometimes we give it to them, you know, right away before the exam, um, or we, you know, end up letting them, you know, pick one out for themselves as well. So it's personalized, you know, to what blanket that they want. So it's, it's really awesome that we have that um, availability as well. That's fantastic. But you guys probably can't take those donations right now, can you? So it's been really hard to accept donations, and a lot of people just aren't, um, sure what to do and we do still get stuff from Wichita Area Sexual Assault Center from Wasac. They provide us um, with our clothing and various other things from the Assistance League that's you know given to them and so we've been able to you know do a facility to facility donation but right now um, we haven't been I'm not sure how many personal donations that we've been taking just because there's no visitors allowed in the hospital. Um, and so it just kind of makes it hard right now to accept donations and do things that aren't facility to facility, like getting, you know, bags from you guys or getting stuff from Wasac. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of things like that are hard right now. Um, Mm -hmm. and just for our listeners, one of the things that we will try to do is just stay in connection with you guys. So if you do find that you need something or, um, you need a donation or we can provide something. Um, if there's any just donors or listeners or anything that are able to support us, one being able to support us financially is huge because maybe we're able to provide something in, I guess, a sanitary or kind of a Wesley approved way Uh that maybe the general public couldn't. So, um, again, and just following on social media and whatever, but I just, I guess I just want people to know that there is a way to support you guys. It maybe just doesn't look like it used to, um, but we can still make that happen if we can. Yes, yes, yes. I, I mean, and that's what's making it hard now. And sometimes it's, but you may think that your, you know, small monetary donation doesn't really help out that much, but it honestly is, because we rely on donations from these, you know, ICTSOS and WASAC and Assistance League. Uh, we rely heavily on that because we don't have our own, you know, 501c donation site to where, you know, we're, we're getting our own supplies and things. We're relying on community outreach from programs like, you know, with the Fresh Start Bags and, 
and all of that. Because if no one's donating to you guys, then we're not receiving anything for our survivors. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think no one should underestimate um, a $10 oversized hoodie um, (laughs) and how far that can go for really anybody, but especially a survivor. Um, Or like you said, a blanket, a tie blanket or a purchase blanket from Amazon or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Don't underestimate the very small donations because it goes a really, really long way. Absolutely. I mean, it's just... I I can't explain like whenever we have that gratefulness from that survivor and it's just such a small token on our part just to hand them something. And, you know, that changes their whole entire outlook, their whole entire, you know, situation. And oftentimes they're hugging us when they're leaving. And, you know, we, we have that amazing connection to where they had every single negative thought in their mind before this process and now are leaving with such a positive outlook and we just try to make them just feel better in any way that we can. Absolutely. And I love that you guys do that so well. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think this probably ends our conversation today. Is there just anything else you want our listeners to know, maybe even specifically right now during the pandemic? Uh, Just don't be afraid to come to the hospital. If you you know, are in need of assistance. If, if there is anything that we can help you out with as a, you know, survivor or call Wasak. Um, we just, I just want to let you know that you're not alone and you shouldn't feel alone or afraid to come in if something happens to you. And, you know, there's, you know, obviously limitations to what we can do for you, but if we can help you in any way possible, don't be afraid to come into the hospital because we are taking extra precautions and trying to make everything as safe as we can during these um, rough times of this pandemic. And, and it is scary. A lot of people, you know, don't know what's going to happen from now because we don't know what's going to happen in the future. But as of right now, please don't be afraid to get help. Don't be afraid to call Wasak and talk about what happened. Absolutely. Such, um, such wise and and just timely suggestions right now. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Megan. You're welcome. So we will just wrap up our conversation. Hopefully our listeners will get excited about maybe a future episode between us and maybe we could even loop Wasak in on the conversation in the future. I think that would be great. Um, But for now, we will wrap up this conversation. So again, thank you so much for coming on our podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Until our next episode, please follow us on social media to find out how you can help. You can also become a monthly supportive listener of Look for the Helpers by donating through anchor.fm forward slash ICTSOS or by downloading our app found in Apple or Google Play. Thank you for listening. Wash your hands and stay safe at home. Wow.